The nursing industry is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. This is Leanne Meyer, and I am here today um, with a very interesting subject. We are talking about uh, women and COVID-19, what you need to know. Uh, HealthyWomen.com hosted an interactive virtual uh, webinar on Thursday, October 8th, focusing on women's behaviors and attitudes during the COVID-19 pandemic. The goal of the webinar and the survey, which included over 3,000 respondents, was to raise awareness and promote dialogue about the impact of COVID-19 on women in the United States and to ensure that all women, regardless of demographics, are able to access the care they need. The webinar featured several guest speakers, including our guests today, Beth Badalino, Chief Executive Officer of HealthyWomen.com and Practicing Nurse and Maternal Child Health at Riverview Medical Center, Hackensack Meridian Health in Red Bank, New Jersey. And Alejandro, Alejandra Y. Castillo is the CEO of YWCA USA, which serves 2.3 million women and girls around the country uh, and has a network of 200 plus associations. So, um, Beth, in beginning this, um, uh, talking about this this um, study that she had done, she said, and I'll quote, in less than one year, the COVID-19 pandemic has dra- dramatically altered the U.S. healthcare system, revealing deep problems within the system and causing a health crisis like no other. In addition to highlighting the substantial racial disparities within the system, which leaves many Americans more vulnerable to the disease and subsequent treatment, a lack of insurance coverage, and general distrust of our experts in government have created a system failure. Our goal with the survey and webinar was to ensure that all women, regardless of demographics, are able to access the care they need. So, uh, Beth, I want to bring you in. So, Beth, again, is Beth uh, Batalina and Lino, and she is the Chief Executive Officer of HealthyWomen.com and a practicing nurse in the maternal child health uh, at Riverview Medical Center. So, uh, Beth, come in and tell us uh, about yourself. How did you become a nurse, and um, how... um, how did you get to the the uh, being the head of Healthy Women and doing this survey? Well, Leanne, first of all, thank you for for having us. And um, you know, be becoming a nurse was secondary for me. Um, well, it was I should say it was always a passion. I was one of six children, and three of us were um, kind of Irish triplets. We I have um, a brother and sister, and we're less than a year apart. And so uh-huh. when it was. Uh, and then my parents took a break, and then they had three more. So when it was time to go to college, as you can imagine, it was three basically going all at once, like back to wow. back. And so um, 
in my heart, I, I always wanted to be a nurse. And I think it's being the first oldest girl. Um, I was always the caretaker of my younger siblings and even my older brother, because they always say boys, even they're, if they're older, they're younger than girls. So um, I, I was always responsible. And I, I just, it was just one of those. And I think anyone who becomes a nurse, there's something inside you that makes you want to be a nurse. But when I was applying to schools, my father said, if you want to be a nurse, then you're going to have to stay in New York State. There's great state universities that have fabulous nursing programs. And so that, you know, you're going to have to stay in New York State. And and then that quickly made me rethink, because I had always wanted to go to school in Washington, D.C. Um, I had an aunt that lived there and used to visit her frequently and just fell in love with Washington. So I said, okay, I'll go for business. And then he said, okay, then you can go to a private school. Mm-hmm. So I went to a private university in Washington, D.C. I um, was able to get my business degree and then was able to get into a um, kind of a fast track um, bachelor's program for nursing and did um, my nursing degree through at the same college that I got my business degree in. And um, honestly, it was the best, you know, looking back at it, it was the best advice. So I was very thankful um, that I was able to get both degrees. And then I started um, thinking I needed to get a job if I was going to stay in Washington. <laughs> so I w- really wasn't sure what I was going to do. Um, so that, that there came Healthy Women. Um, I applied for, before I got my nursing degree, I applied for a job at a hospital thinking like this could be the right path, you know, to make sure that I really wanted to be a nurse. And then perhaps, you know, they will help fund my nursing degree because that was going to have to come out of my own pocket. And so as I was interviewing for a position as a volunteer coordinator of candy stripers, (laughs) um, the person that was doing the interview said to me, I've got a a better job for you. I think there's something that I, you would be, you do very well at. And it's, to be the program coordinator of a women's center that we just started here at Columbia Hospital. And I had no idea what she was talking about, but I said, sure, I'd be happy to <laughs> sure, do that. Why not? <laughs> um, and that's, you know, and that's how I started in women's health um, uh-huh. is a program coordinator for the organization that I run, which is our, our legal name is the National Women's Health Resource Center. And we, I changed it once we became an online source for women's mm-hmm. health information to healthy women, um, but our legal name is the National Women's Health Resource Center. So I started as a program coordinator and then just loved um, being able to do so many different things. So I was able to use my marketing and business um, background um, the hospital did end up paying for me to go to school and getting and, and to uh, obtain my nursing degree. Um, and at that time, in the um, mid-90s, when a lot of the smaller hospitals were being merged or acquired, Columbia Hospital was one of the seven women's hospitals in the United States, and um, it was very small. And so they they were going to, um, they were trying to remain a private independent hospital and lost that battle, but I saw the writing on the wall. So I went to the CEO and asked if uh, I could restart the organization and keep it going. Um, because in the 90s, you know, women's health was a front-burning issue. And so I, uh, the board, the hospital board said yes. So I pulled away from Columbia Hospital um, and then drove to New Jersey and uh, met with one of the head of um, marketing at New Jersey, who I knew at Johnson & Johnson, and we're, we're he loved the idea. 
keep yep. going here, Beth, because you have a, a wonderful oh. history here. It's it's. Uh, oh, sorry, but anyway, that's sure, how I was all luck. <laughs> I want to make sure that we um, get Alejandra in here also. Of course. So, yeah, so Alejandra, it's Dr. Right, Dr. Alejandra Castillo. Um, <laughs> she is the CEO of the YWCA. And tell me, you know, kind of briefly your background and how did you get into this project with Beth? So I, I, I will just say I'm not a doctor. I am a, oh. I'm a lawyer, like many, so many lawyers in Washington, D.C., but it's been a blessing to be able to collaborate with Beth. Um, and, you know, my journey uh, is also based in Washington. Um, I've lived in D.C. for uh, three decades, um, and I really uh, love that intersection of policy and, and government. So um, a lot of my work has been around the, the areas of how do we find those levers within, within government and, and, and the legislative body to really drive change. And, um, and I currently, you know, and I've had many, many different, um, many different opportunities to, to test that and to also drive that, you know, having worked uh, mm-hmm. uh, both for Senator Kennedy, I, I worked in the Clinton White House and, and in the Obama administration, but it's really being able to look at what can be done through our democratic process to really change the course and improve the lives of, of many. Mm-hmm. So having this opportunity as the CEO of YWCA USA um, and working with Beth and collaborating with Healthy Women has been um, another of those iterations where you can bring in so much of your lived experience, but also of your professional journey, and look at the problems that are affecting us today, uh, as I'm sure we're going to go deeper into this conversation, and be able to find partners like Beth to really, one, inform, two, uh, activate, and three, mobilize, so that those areas where we need to lean in and make really uh, important changes, that that we're able to do that. So, it's been a, a fantastic uh, partnership and, and elevating the data and the work that, that she has been able to uncover. Yeah. So while yeah. we're before we go into the survey, um, you had mentioned a white paper. Could you say a little bit more about that, Alejandra? Sure, sure. So um, YWCA USA just uh, released a white paper, and what we wanted to do was to go back to this term that the New York Times has used, um, which is uh, naming this recession the she-session. So it's mm. the first recession where women are really at the center of it all. It's a good thing and it's a challenging thing at the same time. One is it's challenging because what we've seen that COVID really impacted women in such a, a, in a very disproportionate way and the, and the repercussions don't only impact us, it impacts our children and our communities. And this she session is also about how women in the labor force um, and, for, and for nurses, for, you know, we're calling nurses and, and we're, we're honoring nurses as frontliners and essential workers. But the true question is, are we providing the services, the support um, that, that nurses in particular need in order to to do their jobs and to be able to, um, you know, meet their needs, like having childcare, making sure that they're paid, um, there's equity in their pay. Um, and, and there's so much that we wanted to uncover 
But I know that this conversation um, is going to be about how COVID has impacted. So mm-hmm. I'll weave through what the white paper also shares, but I think that the that the um, study that Healthy Women has put forth is also another testament that we need to make sure that we're centering women's needs as we think about moving through COVID and then getting through this recession as well. Exactly. Right. So what I'd like to do is put uh, that link uh, for the white paper on my host page, and uh, it will be within this e-card. So as you go to this session to listen to it, if you're listening to it again as a podcast, then um, you'll be able to find that link. So, Beth, let's go back Mm -hmm. to the COVID situation and the survey and talk about how the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted American society and especially women. Well, a little bit about the survey. So we conducted, the survey was conducted in June and included over 3,000 participants and Really, what we wanted to understand, what healthy women wanted to understand, was how COVID-19 pandemic has affected the health of women in the United States, particularly any differences based on racial and ethnic demographics. And what we further sought to understand was how those experiences are influencing current and may influence the future of healthcare behaviors and choices, and what those behaviors and choices could mean for the future of women's health. And our goal with the survey and the and our, the webinar that we had was to raise awareness and promote a dialogue about the impact of COVID-19 specifically on women and ensure that all women, regardless of demographics, are able to access the care that they mm-hmm. need. And so there were many takeaways, as you can imagine, from the survey. Some were much more alarming than others. And it was not surprising to me and to my team that since the pandemic began, women were more likely to have insomnia, higher levels of panic and anxiety, and felt less connected during social distancing orders. In addition, they were less likely to maintain a sense of routine and normalcy. And I can, you know, I'm raising my hand as I mention all of those because it <laughs> certainly has affected me. Yeah. <laughs> I could, I, I, I'm shaking my head. Yes, this, is, this definitely affected me. How about you, Alejandra? Can you, are you feeling the same? Oh, without a doubt. Um, Not only am I feeling the same, but I'm also seeing it across our, um, you know, YWCA leaders and the people that we serve. It's everything from forgetting things, uh, everything from the stress level. And and I know that when we were talking uh, in preparation for this podcast, we we said Mm -hmm. we need to give each other some grace and to give each other some understanding because, the earth has shifted on its axis, and even though we yearn for normalcy, we are in ve- we're, we're in uncharted waters. So there's a lot that we need to both understand, um, share, and also be um, patient with one another. With one another, and that's why I think again, going back to to the survey and the research that you've done, Beth, you mm-hmm. uncover a lot of great nuggets of information about how women are right. feeling right now. Yeah, and you know what was interesting is that we um, we did a a survey before the COVID survey that really looked at stress. And what I was sharing during our pre-call too was that stress we've normalized stress. Women has have normalized stress, so we we deal with stress all the time, and we just think it's a part of our normal daily routine. And then when we get when we got hit with COVID. 
it took, like you said, it, it changed. It, it put us on a whole new different axis. And, um, and it's, it's just been very interesting. And as a practicing nurse, you know, some of the things, the challenges that I have seen and are, continue to see um, is a little bit frightening. You know, everything from, um, you know, working more shifts, um, being not being able to figure out how we're going to take care of our children um, because a lot of the daycare centers, especially in the beginning, were closed. Um, and then especially for those single moms um, that do not have you know, other people that can help and take care. And it's not just a normal, you know, nine to eight job. We're getting up at five and five thirty in the morning to be on the floor at 7 a.m. So getting mm-hmm. someone to take care of your ch- child or children has been a huge hurdle. And then all of a sudden pushing many of us in into positions of being a school teacher, which I can tell you, Quite honestly, I am not a teacher. <laughs> I am not a teacher, and I am not pretending to be. But putting us in that role um, has been not only stressful, but is just you know, it's it's just it's stressful for the children too. So um, it's been very very interesting, and trying to figure out this new routine and new normalcy. I'm still trying to figure it out. I was thinking one thing that might come out of this is teachers will get huge pay raises all across the country because suddenly people will know, oh, my goodness, look what they do. <laughs> Every so, day, right? Yep, for so sure. who would like to talk, Alejandra or Beth, about what the survey actually did teach you? What What did you find from it? Sure, so um, I, I think why don't, why don't you start and then I'll, I'll pick you back on that. Okay. Yep. That sounds great. Um, What we saw was, you know, one thing is prior to the start of the pandemic, only 23% of women reported using telehealth. So I thought as a healthcare provider and and from Healthy Women being the CEO, that was one area that we had as one identified as one of our, you know, top um, eight areas that we wanted to, we were going to address anyway in 2020. So it just, Mm -hmm. it it just um, understanding telemedicine and making sure consumers understood um, how to use telemedicine. And then fast forward, we, we get hit with a pandemic. So the, the, you know, seeing that only 23% of women reported using telehealth from themselves or their families, however, 40% said that they were likely to make a telehealth appointment in the future, um, which is awesome because I do not see this going away. I think telehealth yes. is going to become, I know telehealth is going to become part of our new norm. And and um, so that, that part of, I, I was happy about because I think that's going to open more doors um, for uh, caregivers and for moms um, and for women in general to be able to get access to, to treatment. Um, and, and when we look at mental health, um, that's been very successful. Using telehealth has been successful. So that makes me happy knowing that we can further do more education and being able to use that tool to get to more people and to get them access to care. Yeah. And then, uh, and, and I, oh, go ahead. go ahead, Alejandra. No, no, go ahead. Because I know, I know that was one area too, that, that mental health and, um, was important to you too, Alejandra, with uh, the YWCA and the, the audience that you're serving. Yeah, and I think what, what Beth um, and Healthy Women did so beautifully as well was that they took another lens. They took a very uh, another racial justice lens to this report and looking at 
how the the questions that they asked uh, were also asked to various to women of color. And, right. you know, African-American right. and Latinx, um, uh, um, Asian-American and Pacific Islanders to just really highlight what what are the differentials. And the, those um, respondents also share, you know, it showcased um, as COVID has, you know, shown us how communities of color have also been disproportionately impacted um, for a variety of reasons. But it's also important to note um, where those differences are. And, and we saw that for African-American women, again, um, the numbers of being having accessibility to, to telemedicine, to be able to um, keep their, their medical appointments and, and the like, Mm-hmm. Um, as well as how um, uh, Hispanic women, Latinx women, were also seeing a different set of, of, of obstacles and challenges as they were going through through COVID. So it's important it's important to look at the the survey uh, writ large, but it's also very informative because it also goes down uh, into into different um, segments of. of the women's right. cohort uh, by by race, so that's um, that's really important, and that's also very that's data that is so essential, especially when we have nurses that are working in communities of color. Being able to discern and distill that information is is really a, a, an opportunity to deliver better services and better better healthcare. Right, great, and then employment. Um, we also looked at employment and. You know, what was, you know, stood out is 45% noting um, of our respondents said employment status or income had changed. So it wasn't surprising, but just also, you know, the impact on women. Um, so, so many women stepping out or stepping out of the workplace because they could not continue working and taking care of their family and becoming a, a teacher and doing all those mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. that women do every day and or losing jobs. So, um, you know, that, that, that was a big hurdle. And then as we look ahead, as we're preparing for or starting to be, become part of that second wave of the virus, we found that over two-fifths of the respondents, that's 42% said that felt comfortable seeing a health care provider within the next six months. So that, that's one thing that, you know, I want to stress as part of our message is the importance of women taking care of themselves. Um, and then for nurses to put themselves on the on the list on the A list um, for many of us, I think we we put everyone in front of us, including our family pet, the dog or the cat, um, <laughs> before taking care of ourselves. And so, um, mm-hmm. with offices open, with hospitals open, um, with them seeing patients, with now you know offices being on time and being even cleaner that, you know, being very, very focused on cleanliness and, and making sure um, safe social distancing. There's no reason not to get your preventative screenings in and not to have that annual women's wellness visit because you are important. And if you don't take care of yourself, you will not be there to take care of your family. Yeah. We say that all the time, but why is it women keep forgetting it? We, well, I guess we're because there's them, nobody right? else stepping in to know pick up the, the slack. <laughs> Alejandra? Yeah, I was going to say, I, I was going to say, I don't think we forget it. It's that when we have so many competing priorities, we give mm-hmm. much more time and effort to our children, to our families, to our communities. And, and you know, sometimes we just think that 
by do, by making that contribution, it's it's a it's a selfless sacrifice. And what we need to really understand is, you know, the principles of when we go to an airplane, right? Unless you put the right. mask on yourself first, you can't right. help others. So we need to really change that narrative across, uh, you know, how women think of themselves and how they can think of how you know how they help others. So it's uh, and these are the most important times because we've already underscored uh, the stress, the mental health issues, the issues of economic insecurity, and we haven't even touched the issue of gender-based violence, right? Um, right, right. And I'll introduce it because YWCA, we're the largest pro- network providers of services for survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault. And in our studies, we've seen that the gender-based violence continues to be top of mind, both in the home and in the workplace. What COVID has done globally, because it wasn't just in the U.S., we've seen so many articles across the globe, it, the, the, the number of, of domestic violence skyrocketed. And this is another area that for many years we continue to talk about it, but we have to really root it out and stem it, uh, you know, and root it out because it is taking such hold in our in our society. And yet we don't speak about it with the candor and the and the transparency to make those policy changes that are re- that's really going to change the way healthy families grow. So I bring that up because I know we have so many different issues to talk about, but it is important since COVID really. Um, uh, the numbers of domestic violence were were at its all time high across the globe. You know, before we go on, we're coming up to a break time, and I'm thinking maybe this is a good place for us to do that break. Um, so this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing. Our topic today is women and COVID nineteen. What you need to know about it. And my guests today are Beth uh, Batalino, and she is the Chief Executive Officer of HealthyWomen.com, while at the same time practicing, being a practicing nurse in maternal child health at the Riverview Medical Center, Hackensack Meridian Health in Red Bank, New Jersey. And Dr. Excuse me, Alejandro Castillo is the CEO of the YWCA for the USA, which serves 2.3 million women and girls around the country a network of 200 associations. So we will be back in just a couple minutes. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Hey, nurses, what would you say is the hardest part about being a nurse? Well, most of you would say it's putting everyone else's needs before our own which means not enough time for self-care. And this is why Holly Blue has created a peer support and community app just for nurses, so you can take care of you. Holly Blue is the ultimate nurse app to help you connect with local nurses, organize your nurse life in one place, restore your love for nursing, and empower you to thrive in a field that needs you. Want to see how it works? Student nurses, nurses, and retired nurses can download this free app on the App Store Google Play now. Just type in H-O-L-L-I-B-L-U or go to hollyblue.com to start connecting. WomenInHealthcare.org, a national nonprofit, is our newest partner at Once a Nurse. It is among the most rapidly growing professional development groups for women in healthcare today. Through healthcare education, professional development, mentorship, 
community, and a focus on self, the organization empowers women with the tools needed to advance their careers. They use initiatives to break down barriers within organizations and equip women with the tools needed to open a powerful force for gender parity. 80% of the healthcare workforce is female, with nurses a massive majority of that percentage. But less than 20% of leadership is female. Join womeninhealthcare.org as they help all women of all ages and all levels rise up. Use code HEALTHPROS to receive $50 off the annual membership fee and receive discounted pricing for events, free resources, webinars, and a substantial discount for our annual leadership summit on October 22, 2020. WomenInHealthcare.org to be where you want to be in the world of healthcare. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Welcome back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I'm Leanne Meyer, and today we're talking about women and COVID-19, what you need to know. So Beth uh, Badalino is uh, Chief Executive Officer of HealthyWomen.com. She's also a practicing nurse in maternal child health. And uh, Alejandra Castillo is the CEO of the YWCA for the USA, which serves 2.3 million women and girls around the country. Together, they have done a survey, and they now are uh, talking with us about the results of that survey. So one of the things that's going to be coming up soon is going to be uh, vaccines. We're hearing there's at least two, probably a lot more, that are looking like uh, they're moving in the right direction. Um, Beth, talk about that. I mean, vaccines have already always been uh, kind of a, a difficult subject. How does this one play in? Well, when we, it, it is going to be difficult, um, but I think the biggest thing that we need in, you know, healthy women and, and Alejandra and the YWCA, all of our groups are, are really want to make sure um, happens is that we are advocating for diverse clinical trials to ensure that those most affected by the virus will benefit from the vaccine. Um, so that, and that the vaccine is free and accessible to everyone. So those, those are two huge, you know, hurdles and you're going to be hearing more noise from both of our organizations to ensure that clinical trials are diverse, that, that women are part of these clinical trials, that we have, um, you know, we have brown, we have black, we have Asian, we have all different types of um, women that are participating in these clinical trials, and that when the, the vaccine is ready, that it's free and it's accessible by everyone. Mm-hmm. How does that impact and your clientele, Alejandra? It impacts us in so many different ways. Again, um, when, I, when you hear the news about the, the vaccines that are out there, um, you know, it's important, as, as Beth has said, it's important that the trials had um, that uh, there was a diverse group of individuals who, who mm-hmm. were part of the 
of the clinical trials. That's important for YWCA because, again, our mission is eliminating racism and empowering women. So we're at the intersection of race and gender and lifting women up, especially women of color. So those elements are very important, but also because these are communities, these were the communities that were hardest hit. Um, Mm -hmm. They were hardest hit in a very disproportionate way. So looking at how the vaccines are going to um, have been tested, but also how the distribution is going to be done. You know, some of the vaccines say that they need to be, um, you know, in refrigeration of minus 74 uh, degrees uh, Celsius and others are not, don't, don't need to have that much refrigeration. But all of that will impact the distribution network. You know, who gets it first? Mm-hmm. Will it be urban areas first and then rural areas? So we need to have a process and advocate for a process where the distribution is also going to be equitable. Um, and these yep. are the things that, you know, as, as an organization and partnering with Healthy Women, we want to make sure that our voices in terms of um, access, affordability, and equity um, are always at the forefront because um, it's just, it's just who we are as an organization. So, Beth, has yeah. it been uh, uh, done in a more diverse way, and especially women? Because I know a lot of times when they're doing these testings, they don't want to use women because of all the variables. Right, and and we're seeing, we're hoping that it is going to be done in the right way. Um, and from some of the reports, you know, people are on it um, and making sure that it is. But we'll, you know, we'll soon find out. Um, the other thing that I wanted to bring up is that you know the data. So when we first did the survey, um, when it came to vaccines, fifty-four percent of respondents said that they were extremely likely or likely to get a COVID-19 vaccine when it was available. But we did a recent poll, which is going, which is on our, on our site right now. And what we found out now is that data is moving upwards of more respondents saying no or unsure mm-hmm. to getting the COVID mm-hmm. vaccine. So for mm-hmm. instance, we had three, seven, 317 people saying no or unsure versus 268 saying yes. So fear or concern over vaccine safety continues to dominate the reasons for no or unsure vaccinations. So we we still have a lot of work to do um, in in regards to education, um, you know, of our audiences and and making sure people feel safe um, in getting this in getting this vaccine. Right, that is a critical piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I'm wondering how the future looks. What what is going to happen? What do, what do we need to do? I guess maybe let's look forward a little bit. Alejandra, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, you know, I, I think first of all, I I, I want to thank you because this, you've you've offered this wonderful platform for us to talk about not just the challenges. <clears throat> excuse me, the challenges that we're facing, but also to have the opportunity to reimagine what the future can be. And I think that COVID has taught us all many, many lessons that I mm-hmm. pray we don't, we can, uh, you know, learn from and, and hopefully improve the lives, uh, our lives and the lives of our, of our, of our country as a whole. Um, but really looking at the conversation of how do we join forces, which is a, a, a very important um, uh, effort, like this partnership with Healthy Women and YWCA is the type of modeling that we would like to see more of because mm-hmm. we both have 
you know, respective audiences, but also strengths that can come to the table. So making sure that the future continues to promote partnership and collaboration. The other thing I would say is making sure that the future continues to anchor around women, that the, the not women individually don't have to shoulder all of these challenges. For example, going back to this conversation of childcare, and you know, every woman who who is caring for someone um, is looking at uh, caregiving or, or 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 ways to provide care for their children or or for their loved ones, whether it's an elderly parent. Making sure that that just doesn't fall on the shoulders of women, but that it's actually a national priority. Um, I was just reading in, in our in our white paper. You'll see that uh, the um, uh, uh, several international economic organizations that measure, for example, child care, the U.S. is at the bottom of it all. Mm. Um, so um, it's important that we recognize that these are not just women's issues, but that they're issues that really um, drive our global competitiveness. And, and I was going to cite OECD, which is the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the U.S. is at the bottom when it comes to child care. And there's so many oh, other right. indicators that sometimes we get to see it just as women, but they're actually for the health of our nation as a whole. So I am optimistic that we're going to learn from COVID and we're going to move forward and we're going to continue to drive change um, and, and making sure that everybody continues to be mindful of that. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more, Alejandra, and I think, you know, I'm so appreciative of all the work that your great organization is doing and, and the white paper, um, how timely is that? Um, but I do think we're going to be able to use this as an opportunity to move forward women's health and women's health issues. And, um, you know, when we talk about maternal health, um, we're seeing so much more attention being given to that, but now is the time to make to, to to not just talk about it, to make that change. And in looking at women in the workforce, I think this whole COVID has given us all an opportunity to show that you can have flexibility and you can work from home, um, but we just need some additional guidance, but it can be done and we can even do it better um, knowing that we can take care of our families and our, you know, our extended families. So I think it will give new, almost like a permission to relook at women, um, women's health, um, looking at women in the workspace and looking at how we can advance some of the issues that have been around that we've been discussing for more than 20, almost 30 years, there's an opportunity to make, to make some significant changes. What, what are some of those changes? What do you anticipate that we either need or will happen? I don't think we're going to be going back into to buildings. I don't. I don't see that happening. So I think the changes of flexibility and giving women the opportunity to work from home, you're going to see that's just going to be our new norm. I think um, with maternal health, I think looking at extending the time that mom, new moms can stay at home, this whole six-week norm is not, is not normal. It's not normal. No one else is doing it except the United States. So being able to uh, look at making some changes in that, and I think and I'm going to go back to telemedicine because I do think it's so important as we look at clinical trials and recruitment, but not only recruitment, but keeping 
and I'm, you know, selfishly, I'm going to speak about women, keeping women in clinical trials. It's going to, you know, the opportunity to make that easier uh, for women to stay in clinical trials by having telemedicine and to have access to medicine overall. I think you're going to see some changes in that. Um, and, and we're already seeing it. Um, and then I think, you know, looking at te- technology and um, even some of the businesses that are changing, like Walmart, for instance, is opening now healthcare facilities in rural areas. So needed, right? In these desert spaces, they're opening these healthcare facilities and they're open seven days a week. So they're catering to people that are that might be working the different shift hours that need access to, to um, you know, healthcare healthcare, period. So I think you're going to start seeing creative and innovative, and not to say that we haven't in the past, but you're going to see more so, more of this being used um, by businesses, by hospitals, um, and, and I think it's going to make a powerful impact uh, on women and women's health issues moving forward. Alejandra, say a little yeah, and about just that to, yourself. Just to- yeah, I would I would add to that that you know again we are paying much more attention and I and I hope we will continue to pay more attention about the urban rural divide and and bridge those mm-hmm. divides. But also again, as 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 I've said throughout this discussion, continuing to put a racial justice lens to so many issues. You know the fact that black women have the highest maternal mortality rate in the U.S. is really something that we must pay attention to. Why is it? Why does it continue to be? How do we address these, um, these, the, the issues so that we can bring some, again, some, some, some level of responsiveness um, as a nation, as a whole. And like that, I can, you know, we, we could probably illustrate so many different other issues that are also becoming very apparent uh, with COVID. We can no longer turn our, turn, you know, turn the other way. COVID has done something that is really remarkable, which is it has put a spotlight on some of the fault lines that we all knew were there, but mm-hmm. now it's, it's ripped us apart. So when it's talking about digital platforms and digital learning, how women are being impacted by the future of work, you know, automation and AI and VR, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it may feel distant when we talk about nurses, but we're seeing how hospitals are automating so many different things. Um, and how do we help um, make those transitions as as our economy starts to change. So there's a lot um, again that we need to keep a, a clear eye at, and and hopefully through these collaboration, uh, again with your platform to to bring awareness and education and the work that Beth is doing with healthy women in terms of uncovering these telltale signs. Um, you know, we at YWCA stand ready to make sure that when we deliver services, we're also making sure that all of this is taking a, a very holistic approach. Yes. Yeah, and I, and I think it's, you know, we're talking about some of the good changes, but I also think it's going to be important to, um, and I, here's where I think women do a good job, too, is what's not working, you know, being able to have that honest conversation because as, you know, as some of the this advancements in technology and is, is you know, people see it as, um, you know, as positive, there's some things that aren't working. Um, and when we look at, you know, for many of the nurses now that are working in um, hospital systems where we're, you know, forced 
you know, the, the documenting and the electronic health records and, um, you know, what is not working and wh- where do we need to do a better job? So I think that that sharing of information is going to be so important, too, and to make sure that um, we have those those honest conversations as well so we can fix it. It's interesting that you mentioned that. I was just talking to some nurses that have been working in the ICUs with COVID and talking about right. having three highly intensive patients in an ICU uh, and just saying that they're doing the bare minimum of documentation that covers their legal responsibility. Right. But their feeling mm-hmm. is they have dying patients, barely living patients, and they would rather be trying to save people than documenting it. So that's going to be a very interesting thing, what they've learned, what we can get rid of, what can we keep. Um, and I think that's going to have to be streamlined as we go along, too. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So tell me, is there something something else that you want to make sure we get in here that we haven't talked about yet? I would say, you know, a, a great message of gratitude and thank you to the millions of nurses that are yes. doing truly um, the work uh, of saving lives, of holding somebody's hand, of making sure that they're comfortable, that medicine is, is there, um, making those phone calls to loved ones. I mean, nurses have been asked to do so much more than what the profession, um, you know, what you may have learned in, in nursing school, and now we need them more than ever. So I just want to tip my hat to the incredible work that they do every single day, and um, and and hopefully through the work that we do um, that we will continue to have their backs and, and be able to advocate for those, um, for those policies and programmatic changes that are so desperately needed. Uh. Beth, jump in with that because um, I'm wondering I don't what your know thoughts are as you know, being so a, a Alejandra, You need to run for office at the next election. I'm just like, ah, <laughs> oh, that was so lovely. Um, no, I just, I, I want to just say, yeah, I, I'm very proud of, um, you know, the nurses' role in this whole ec- epidemic. I just, um, you know, I, I'm only, I'm a per diem nurse and I've been putting in extra shifts, but I'm so proud of all my fellow colleagues and, and what they've done and the sacrifices that they've made. And it's, you know, it's just so interesting to see everyone or listen to everyone's stories. Um, there's, you know, quite a few nurses that are single moms and those that are caring for um, aging relatives in their house and, you know, the whole quarantine and how we do, and the fact that we didn't even have testing in the beginning and the mm-hmm. right equipment. So it's just, it's it's been very interesting to watch this all, all unfold and how it plays out in a healthcare system. Um, but I am very proud of being a nurse and I'm very proud of being part of your program, Leanne. So thank you for having, having me. Um, and Alejandra on your program to talk about COVID, but more importantly, um, you know, the the advancements that we're going to be making and that we have made and how this is going to change women's health in the future. Yeah, I guess what better. I was thinking too is that there's a tendency to think <laughs> that, you know, we don't see those nurses in the hospitals and we assume everything's going smoothly. Uh, and it isn't. For a large number of yeah. the nurses in many, many states, they are absolutely overwhelmed. They were exhausted in the first uh, uh, wave that came through. And now as the second wave is coming through, 
many of them are really questioning, do I want to risk my life again uh, for this when people, half of the country is still not wearing masks and still not distancing. So I wanted to just put that out. And I know I'm speaking to the choir as I talk to people in healthcare, but it is absolutely imperative that we put the political messaging away and look at this as we, in order to save our country, save our people and save healthcare, we absolutely have got to require that people wear masks, stay at home if at all possible, and distance if they can't stay at home. So those are, are just a couple of things that are just so vitally important to get across that we could lose our health care if we do not support nurses and health care providers. It's just that critical. And, and if I may, you know, one of the things that I've, I've been looking at, because this is such a unique moment in time, is who do we trust and we mm-hmm. must trust our, our, our health care system, our, our doctors, our nurses. Their, their interest is our well-being. If we can't trust that, I mean, that, that is at the core. So I'm, I'm on this, on this uh, you know, campaign to really reinstate the trust that we must all have, especially with our professionals. They're risking their lives for our better, betterment. So this is the moment where we not only want to celebrate what nurses are doing, but also make sure that we honor their good judgment. They're seeing our mm-hmm. vitals. They're, they're, they know what our bodies are going through. And not to at least wear our mask. Um, you know, we have to have a campaign where we, ha- we must drive this home because it is not just for ourselves but for others. So um, I'm glad you brought that up, Leanne, because... I struggle with it every single day when I'm seeing so many people that are still pushing back on the science and pushing back on these very hardworking professionals who only want our best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, we're kind of at a point here where uh, think about if there's one message out of all of this that you really, really want people all around the world and especially nurses and healthcare providers to know, uh, what would that be? So, um, Beth, do you want to go first in maybe two minutes through so? Sure. Two to three um, minutes? Yep. I would say put, put yourself first. Um, take care of yourself. If you haven't had your women's wellness visit, please make that appointment and take care of you. Get your flu vaccine. Um, if you, if you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to be there to take care of your family. And now we know we need you. We need you to help take care of patients. So this is a quick reminder to think about you and put and take care of you. Okay. That's very concise. So, we still have quite a bit of time here. So, uh, or, you know, three minutes yeah. or more. You know, and, and I would say what an honorable profession, right? Um, uh, I'm a lawyer, and I get the terrible lawyer's joke. But when I think about <laughs> nurses, it warms my heart. I, th- I think about the, the, the men and women who are in the profession, thinking about, you know, how to improve uh, and make people comfortable and make them feel good. So please don't doubt that this is the profession that you're called to do. We need to do a better job, and I put myself at the outside organizations that have the opportunity like YWCA to go to the Congress and to be able to advocate. You know, we should be the ones really really ringing the alarms about making sure that um, 
our healthcare professionals have what they need, that they're being paid fairly. But just to Beth's point, please take care of yourself first because we need you. Um, and as, as the old saying goes, you know, you have to put on your mask first before you can help others. Um, and, and again, I, I'll say that I'm hopeful that this moment in time has also put a spotlight um, in terms of the incredible work that nurses across the globe, no matter mm-hmm. where you are, um, are doing to save lives. And, and Leanne, again, congratulations. I'm so happy that this podcast is downloaded um, in so many different countries because this is a universal message. Right. This is a, a, a message of caring for yourself, caring for your for your, um, for your loved ones, but also caring for those individuals that you don't know, but who need who need that um, that warm hand to get them through this this very critical process. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Beth, I, I think agree. you had mentioned uh, in some of the things that I had read about people who uh, back in March realized that they were having health care issues that needed to be addressed and were not addressed simply because the, everything closed down. Do you want to just speak to that for a couple of minutes? Sure. So I think, you know, especially when we look at oncology, and I can use oncology patients as, a, as an example, unfortunately, but um, many of those, you know, the, the hospitals, they were not seeing any patients. They had stopped doing chemotherapy. Um, they had stopped radiation treatments. So these poor patients, um, were just given a diagnosis, but then also found out that they could not get into, they could not make an appointment, or they were on the basically a wait list for you know for months. And I couldn't imagine, you know, getting that diagnosis and not being able to see meet with a healthcare provider immediately to figure out right. what my care plan is going to be. So that's one example. And then you think about um, patients with. Um, you know, heart heart conditions, all this was put on hold. Um, and, it, you know, some of it was just for weeks and others for months. But can you imagine living with a chronic condition or caring for someone with a chronic condition that was not able to um, see their physician or make that, make their, you know, follow-up appointments? It was devastating. Um, so I'm glad to see that, you know, those doors are, have opened. But it was just, it was a very hard um hard time. And I know one of my colleagues, and she's now my board chair, um, heads up the cancer care. Um, And just hearing the stories and their their Mm -hmm. 1-800 number, you know, thank goodness that they had a, um, a, you know, they had social workers that were on the phones and and talking to to, um, these patients and helping them try to figure out what they can do. that's all you could do. I mean, that that's all you could do. There's there was just no way of getting in to see a healthcare provider at that time. Um, but you know, now the doors are open. Offices are accepting patients, um, right. and people are kind of back on track with their appointments. So, you know, yes, it, things are going well right now. But those first couple mm-hmm. months that they were very very scary for both providers right. as well as patients. Exactly. Well, we are at yeah. the end of the show here now, and so I, I just really want to thank both of you for. For coming on and speaking so openly about these issues. Um, so many times in the past, it's been just pushed aside. So to close the show, I just wanted to say that, the, you know, the subject of today's show may seem new, but because COVID-19 was the factor that caused the study to be done, uh, the reality is that all of these issues for women have been around forever. 
simply not discussed and certainly not researched to any large degree. We're standing in a world together that has been stripped of all the coverings of the messes we have had in our culture, our healthcare, and our justice systems. They must change. If women are ever to have a life of any measure of equality with men, what better time than while everything is exposed to pull up our sleeves and get to work together healing and changing the course of our future. So thank you for listening. Please contact me at my website, www.onceanurse.com, or email me at leanne at onceanurse.com. And again, thank you so much to Beth Batalino, Chief Executive of HealthyWomen.com, and Alejandro Castillo is the CEO of the WCA um, for the whole USA. And um, thank you again, and um, make this a great week, and don't let anybody take it away. Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.